Hi, everybody. Welcome to the November 22nd, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the 22 states joining Colorado's faithless electors request to the U.S. Supreme Court. The request will ask if the votes from presidential electors are bound by state laws. Pat Cahoon from Westward, uh, 22 states in addition to Colorado, it's not yet a majority, but that seems like a pretty big deal. Do you think the odds are high that the Supreme Court will at least answer the request? Well, someone better answer this request. We have to know the electors, do they vote for popular vote? Do they vote for what the state actually went for? Do they vote their own conscience? We need the Supreme Court to at least weigh in on this before we launch into the big debate on why we even have an electoral college. Eric Sonderman, a political analyst, also a weekly now columnist with uh, Colorado Politics. Uh, electoral college drama has been all the rage since about 2000. So it, it makes sense that it would be now something going to the Supreme Court. But it's not really going to settle things because if they just say, well, yeah, it's going to be bound by state laws, the states can still kind of make up whatever they want. Is this far from over in your mind? Oh, it's far from over. I mean, in Colorado specifically, we're heading to a ballot initiative next year at the same time as a hotly contested presidential race, a ballot initiative on whether to repeal the step the legislature took this past session to be part of this compact, which is sort of a workaround for actually doing a constitutional amendment to get rid of the Electoral College. Uh, the tradition has been, I mean, the original purpose of the Electoral College was for electors to be free agents and to use their judgment. The tradition has been, no, electors reflect the will of their state. And if somebody wins that state by one vote or 100,000 or a million votes, you still vote for the victor of the state. That has been the purpose. This faithless elector case will test whether that remains uh, the case or not. If you're going to defend the Electoral College, I happen to think it still has merit. You have to have faithful electors, otherwise it becomes very hard to defend. Natasha Gardner, Articles Editor with 5280. The whole, uh, I think, title is beautiful. Faithless Electors immediately <laughs> kind of grabs you. It is, it's representative of the drama of 2019 and probably just a precursor to 2020. Uh, when you see something like this, do you think we're in the, we're going to see more clarification or is it only going to get muddier? I think we should, should see more clarification whether or not it comes. It would be the bigger question. I mean, this is sort of the, the question that the Supreme Court is designed around. This is exactly the type of clarification that they're supposed to provide when there's disagreement between the lower courts. Um, and I think there's some concern that this faithless electors, this catchy phrase, um, is catching, that this might be, you know, more catching than, say, a norovirus in a Colorado high school. Uh, and if that's the case, then the Supreme Court really does have to, to weigh in. <laughs> Natasha for the win. <laughs> Slipping a norovirus in a humorous way. Well done, Natasha. Well done. <laughs> Rounding out the panel, Marie Aberger from Be Clear. Great to have you back. Uh, Marie, it, it sounds like uh, a population in the United States who were already starting to learn much more about the Electoral College is, are about to learn even more as we get into this decision from SCOTUS. What do you think? I think that's totally right. We're about to learn more, and the more we do, the more we're going to make realize it makes no sense right now. <laughs> the Electoral College takes a long time to explain. A popular vote says whoever gets the most votes wins the presidency. That's a democracy. That makes sense. And I think we're going to see more of a push to get rid of the Electoral College the more people understand how much it doesn't really make sense anymore. More drama bound for 2020. <laughs> Craig Silverman and radio station 710KNUS were involved in a disagreement that made national headlines this week. Initially, the story was Silverman was pulled from a Saturday talk show due to his comments against President Trump. 
Later, after more comments from KNUS, the story revolved around Silverman appearing on other radio shows and perhaps even a new radio gig with former co-host Dan Kaplis. Patty, what in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Well, I will say I noticed that no one ever said he was let go because he's been on this show. (laughs) So that was interesting. We're the only ones pure on that, although Peter Boyles, who former host here, talked a lot about it this week, mentioned you in kind words. The interesting thing is, six days later, we don't know a whole lot more specifically, even though there has been endless talk, not just on every radio show in this town, or for sure, Peter Boyles, and the others allude to it, nationally on CNN, in the New York Times. This has gone widespread. There's been some retracting. We know for a fact that Silverman was pulled off his show mid-show, which no matter what, no matter what he'd been saying or whatever reason, that's a boneheaded move by the management at the station. Let him finish his show, and then we don't get pulled off this show if we misbehave. We just don't get invited back. (laughs) So they could have done that. Um, uh, Silverman immediately sent out a tweet that kind of implied that he might have, it might have been because he was talking about anti-Trump, not um, the station's position, but it was more that his tweet was kind of taken out of context. That's what CNN went on. That's what other people went on. The Denver Post had to retract its headline. So all we're left knowing at this point is that we will probably not be hearing Silverman on KNUS tomorrow, but I'm sure we'll we'll be hearing him soon on another station somewhere. And the irony of Peter Boyle's defending the honor of talk radio and just like as though it was a sacred day in church was really one of the most delightful moments in radio history. Uh, delightful indeed. Uh, Eric, as Patty said, we've got a lot of friends here. Uh, Craig is a longtime uh, panelist on the show. Peter hosted for 14 years. Stephen Tubbs hosted Studio 12 for us for several years. Uh, they're all good friends of the station. Uh, but it was a lot of dirty laundry coming out this last week. And I'm not sure if, it's, uh, if they're done rolling it out. Uh, what did you make of the situation? Oh, a few quick thoughts. Number one, when Craig's on the show, he usually sits in this chair that I've been relegated to today. <laughs> and I am a little worried, contrary to Patty's uh, statement, you know, if, if, am I going to be excused uh, a mid-show here today in Craig's honor? Uh, a, a few thoughts. Uh, number one, Craig, whatever the particulars, whatever went down, whatever the precipitating factor, Craig has been no shrinking violet in the hours and days since then. He has taken full advantage of this in very Craig-like form to uh, elevate his, uh, his awareness both locally and, uh, and uh, nationally. Uh, I think it speaks to what talk radio has become these days, which is so much of an echo chamber. And uh, KNUS, it's not a huge audience, but man, it is an intensely loyal audience. And it's a station built around Trump worship. And by all accounts, they would broach no no deviation from that orthodoxy, from that dogma. We have another, you met, there's another person who frequently sits around this table, which is Krista Kafer. And and Krista is a very conservative, former talk show host on KNUS, very conservative ideological person who has very little use for this current president. And her future on talk radio was ended early by KNUS. No, it was not done in the middle of a show, but nonetheless, she was excused from any host, hosting duties uh, because they could not countenance the notion that somebody would be less than a, a full Trump cheerleader. 
Natasha, it seems to me that above the back and forth and which, who said what in the show, it, it speaks to how media companies are being looked at. And being at 5280, I've got to believe there's been at least some discussion at some point in your career of if the, the magazine stands for this or stands for that, is this mm-hmm. part of our voice? Does anyone need to get be brought back in line kind of thing? Maybe not around any, uh, any particular president. But is this going to put... Uh, I guess, more focus on what media companies are doing, how media stands for certain things, and if they are a particular flavor or not. Well, I think that emphasis was already there and certainly has been since the 2016 election and actually the lead up to that election. I mean, the press and and what we do and what we cover is constantly up for debate. And that that question of who sides in one direction or another, not this presumption that journalists are coming at it from an unbiased perspective, is something that I deal with in the work um, when I'm out reporting on a regular basis. Now, talk radio is a little bit of a different world, but there's obviously some overlap, and I think that's part of what the conversation was about this week. But this week, it was really about, like, grab the popcorn and re- watch your Twitter feed, because it was it was nonstop um, kind of keeping up with the updates with this. But I think, you know, sort of w- the start of my comments and, and leading into that, this bigger question of how we communicate with each other, how, how we find truth, how we talk about um, issues in the world today is something that does feel like it's changing and and are it's almost like the whole country kind of needs an update on listening 101 um and maybe that's something that can come out of these discussions but meanwhile you know we're spending a lot of time talking about this but all this week the real news is the impeachment hearings so the, the focus of of what gets picked up in the media and what gets pushed forward is is always confusing to me even though i work in the media <laughs> i think sometimes yeah you people expect people in the media have had, have it figured out or you've read the manual it's, it's just as murky for us. Uh, Marie, uh, this made national, national news very quickly, uh, but then seemed to disappear very quickly. But frankly, I mean, gosh, the, a, a Twitter story life, lifespan is like, like, like the mayfly, I think, sometimes. So uh, what did you make of how it developed and probably where it goes from here? I think it developed into such a big national story because it represents something pretty scary that's been happening in the Republican Party all across the country, which is you can't critique the president or you're out. Um, people who critique the president either lose their seat, have to switch parties like Justin Amash did from Michigan, or like Craig apparently get kicked off the airwaves. And I agree with Patty. It was a bonehead move to kick him off mid-show. You know, having someone go off the airwaves in the middle of a critique of Dear Leader feels like something that happens in North Korea, not Colorado. Um, and I think it's really scary. And hopefully we can get back to a more honest conversation where everyone can share their views. We'll have to tune in next time to see how how the talk show uh, uh, roundtable rolls. Should be interesting. New Belgium's Brewing's Brewing's founder, Kim Jordan, announced this week that the Colorado Craft Beer Company will be sold to an international corporation based in Australia. The company is employee-owned, so the decision will need to be approved by employee stock owners. This comes on the heels of Molson Coors announcing a couple weeks ago that the company headquarters will move from Colorado to Chicago. Uh, Eric, uh, as you think, as you said eloquently before the show, we really needed Ed Sealover here to talk about beer and business. But with him being gone, uh, we can at least talk about the impact of uh, pretty uh, strong Colorado stalwarts in New Belgium and Coors not being based here anymore. That, that whole identity of what corporate headquarters stand for Colorado, especially one that's been here for over a hundred years. Does that, does that hurt? Does that do some sort of damage to the state of Colorado and, and, and our reputation? 
I don't know. I think the state will survive sure. um, and the, st the state will recover here. Yeah, if Ed Sealover would be the best person possible to discuss this, I might be the worst person possible because I can't pretend that I really follow the, the beer industry or the craft brew, uh, craft brew industry. Uh, that said, I think it is symptomatic that as enterprises grow, in the case of New Belgium, consolidation happens, acquisitions happen. This one was by an Australian company, so you'll now have your New Belgium around the Barbie, I guess, or, 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 or something like that. Uh, Colorado has historically been identified. John Hickenlooper was a small part of it, but it, New Belgium was a bigger part of it as the birthplace of lots of craft brew and, and as one of the epicenters of the craft brew industry. That probably takes a hit, but uh, if I look around over the last five or ten years, we have found a new industry to step in and replace all that, that being the cannabis industry. So I think we are still on many maps. Natasha, in some ways, it kind of felt to me that I, I could hear the the Empire Strikes Back theme that like, could roll into my head because it was really an empire coming back. And you had New Belgium where this the uh, employee owned and solar powered and our major beer is a fat tire and it's a bike. It's just everything was really independent. And now they're bought by some unknown subsidiary in Australia and Japan. I'd be making way too much of this, but as you cover business and mm -hmm. uh, iconic parts of Colorado, what did you take away from the announcements? Yeah, and I've covered beer for years. I mean, when I moved to Colorado, the, this boom was just sort of starting up, and so spent a lot of time covering these. The magazine named Kim Jordan, one of the most powerful people in Colorado in 2014, and that's for a very good reason, because this industry continues to grow and expand and change, and in many ways, grow up. And it's not the first chapter. I mean, as we're mentioning Coors, that's sort of the beginning of all of this, but there was a boom before this boom, and um, there are some, some sort of uh, older companies, the New Belgians of the world, uh, Great Divide, that were part of that original burst, and then there was another burst. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's another new transitionary period for all of this. I think the legacy of New Belgium is interesting, though, and should probably is probably worth some, um, some retrospection on, just simply because this was a company that was, yes, making good beer, making great beer to, for a lot of people, but they were also setting standards for sustainability, um, you know, health care, and, and just raising important questions about workforces in Colorado that I think impacted not just the brewing industry, but all our other businesses as well. So that legacy alone, no matter of who owns them, has probably had an impact on workplaces across the front range and across the state. Marie, do you take this more as a loss for Colorado with kind of a brand with Coors being a part of Colorado for over 100 years uh, and New Belgium being kind of on the, the cutting edge of that uh, is a, as a problem or is it more as an opportunity for other, these other new companies, new industries in Colorado to kind of step into that vacuum? I think we should look at this as a success story. This is a locally started company that grew really big, so big, that now it got acquired by a company in Australia. I think that's a success story, and it shows you can start a company in Colorado, you can bring a new industry, and you can succeed here. And it shows a message to other industries, come try it out here. Um, and I think I get why people are sad about it, and I think when you're bummed about it, go support the local craft brewers who are here. Uh, right after Thanksgiving is Small Business Saturday. Make that the day that you go support a local craft beer. Or beyond that, any local companies that you want to make sure grow and thrive in Denver, buy your books at Tattered, at tattered Cover instead of Amazon. You know, if you're bummed about it, support the companies that are here and help them grow and be an, another success story. Patty, what do you think? Are, can we still be a beer capital of the world if the headquarters are nowhere near Denver? You can be, but it's not just a matter of can businesses succeed here. Can they maintain? And that's the big issue in the craft beer industry right now. 
So you have Boulder Brewery, the oldest microbrewery in Colorado, 40 years old, which just announced it's retrenching, it's not going to distribute, it's not going to be selling its beer outside of its own tap room and restaurant. That's big news, and that started this. Then you have the Coors situation. And Molson Coors, when they talk about this, they're, they're saying, you know, we have to solidify our position in the market. Coors sold over a decade ago, um, and they don't have a lot of control on this anymore, but the beer industry is much more competitive internationally, and they're going to be cutting back, no question. On New Belgium, this is kind of a mixed thing because Jordan and the other co-founders did allow the employees to buy it out. 300 of the employees are going to be getting at least $100,000 if they approve this deal. But they sold to Kirin. I mean, this is not just Australia. It's a Japanese company, uh, a subsidiary of it. And in her statement, she said, we just this was easier in some ways than, go, than figuring out how to go on from here. The business is really retrenching on the big international level, but also on the smaller craft beer level. The Denver Post reported this week that the attorney representing former Governor John Hickenlooper in his ongoing ethics investigation is getting paid through a federal fund allocated to Colorado to help with costs related to 9-11. Uh, Natasha, this is uh, my favorite part of my job here at this uh, table is I get to count on much smarter people than I to come up with what the heck is going on here. I didn't even know how to begin trying to trace this down. So I'm counting on you just to give us a, a little illumination of <laughs> how does how, how this even happen? Well, I will do my best, but this was certainly something as I was reading the Denver Post reporting on, the, which is great, where you sort of sit down with a notepad and a pencil and start looking through all the details on this one. In this case, I, I'm, a, I'm very sure that the Hickenlooper doesn't want to be talking about this this week. In fact, avoided some questions related to it. I mean, he's running um, for a Senate uh, uh, role right now. He wants to be focusing on Cory Gardner and his other um, opponents and for the Democratic primary, and instead he's asking, answering questions about jets to Italy and Texas and Connecticut. Um, but this has been part of an ongoing con- conversation. So th- these are flights that happened um, while he was governor. The concern is that it, whether it was a gift or not, there's been reports on, um, and they've been slowly rolling out and we're getting more and more information. In this particular detail, the attorney that he's represented by is someone who is appointed by the attorney general. So this is not just his personal attorney. This is someone who has been appointed and is not uncommon for the taxpayers to pay for an attorney in these sort of scenarios. Now, where the money comes from, I mean, that's the next big question for me, is that how how did this line item match up on a budget and who suggested that? And I don't think we have answers on that yet. I might, I might be wrong, but this is a story we are going to continue to talk about. Maria, I look at this in the, in the bigger picture of 2020, and you have John Hickenlooper, who is I think supposed to be the nominee to run against Cory Gardner. Cory Gardner seems to be very vulnerable. The, the Democrats want to take that seat. But you still have Andrew Romanoff saying, no, I'm not leaving. I'm not convinced he's the guy. And you see stories like this coming out in the different video we're going to see of I'm not cut out to be a senator. Andrew Romanoff might have a point, And it seems to me it's going to be a pretty bruising primary. When you see something like this, uh, do you think that is a concern? I think we're going to be able to move on from it, but I think right now it's a really bad, really unfortunate headline over something I don't think there's really a scandal behind it. But the fact of the matter is, like you said, like Natasha said, you have to sit down with a notebook to really try and understand it. All you have to see is one headline to be like, that sounds really bad. Um, and when you have a situation where the headline's so easy and the explanation of, oh, no, public, you know, people in public service often get state government funded tax uh, lawyers like he didn't know. I'm sure he didn't know where the lawyer was com- lawyer's payment was coming from. But all you need to see is the headline. Most people aren't going to sit down with the notebook and get to the bottom of it. And so that's a tough situation. I think 
if Hickenlooper wants to move forward in this campaign, he needs to distinguish himself by Cory Gardner by making sure whenever he's out in public, he stops and answers reporters' questions. I think the more honest, transparent, available to press he seems about this, the quicker he'll be able to move forward and, you know, distinguish himself from Senator Gardner, who, who typically doesn't stop and talk to press. Petty, uh, we've seen a lot of, we've seen John Hickman recover from a lot of different hiccups. It's actually part of his brand at this point. But as Marie said, this was a terrible headline. Um, what do you make of this? Where does John Hickman go from here? Well, remember, elected officials will often be represented by lawyers who are paid for by the government. Think about Michael Hancock with all the stuff that was going on. And in this case, what we have to remember is that this was a Republican attorney general who hired Mark Gruskin, who, if you've got an electoral problem, you would the Supreme Court should be hiring him to deal with the faithless electorate. So the, the real question here, it's not that Hickenlooper was provided an expensive attorney because that's probably who anybody would have been given if they were being subsidized by the state. The question is, who paid the bill from that one account? And no one's figured that out yet. Eric, what do you think? I mean, again, this is, we're, we're I guess, now less than a year out from uh, the election, uh, assuming John Hickler becomes the nominee. But again, it's a terrible headline. Are, are we in an age right now where the headlines just fade from memory, or does Hick have to do something about this? No, I think uh, I agree with a lot of what's been said, particularly at Patty's point. It is a hiccup. It's, it's a loud and big hiccup. But at the end of the day, it's only a hiccup, and you know, this election is still uh, a year away. Obviously, the caucuses and uh, primary is well before that. A disclosure, Mark Gruskin, the attorney in question here that Patty mentioned, is probably my longest-term friend. We grew up together in Colorado Springs a zillion years ago. He's my son's godparent, et cetera. Uh, Mark is the dean of election attorneys in the state of Colorado, particularly on the Democratic side. He is who you would go to in this case. I haven't talked to him about this, but I can guarantee you he didn't know the source of where this money was coming from. He sends an invoice, and, 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 and someone pays the bills. It is a questionable source, and I, you know, this is a fund that was awarded to the states after 9/11. Last I looked, 9/11 was 18 years ago. If if these are the purposes of that fund, you have to wonder why that fund even still exists. If this is what it is being used for, uh, with all respect to my friend Mark, uh, I'm not sure this is what was meant by economic stimulus uh, in the aftermath of 9/11. Indeed. Well, it is time for our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. I'm sure most people in Colorado have read Stephen King's The Stand, and you might recall that people are doing a lot of what they're doing on the Western Slope right now, thanks to the norovirus. They're puking all over the world. Good people go to Boulder. Bad people go to Las Vegas. What's happening right now on the Western Slope makes you think maybe the stand is coming back to life again, although I'm not sure the good people are going to go to Boulder this time. But good luck to all of those kids, and have a really happy Thanksgiving out there on the Western Slope. Here, here. Eric. How about the Denver Councilwoman from the good area of town that we're sitting in right now, North Central Denver, Five Points, et cetera? Candy Cetabaca is sort of demonstrating recently she wants to be much more provocateur than responsible council person. A week ago, she texts or, or tweets that uh, gentrification is basically tantamount to ethnic cleansing. Gentrification is a serious problem, but let's not equate it to the Holocaust and Bosnia and Rwanda and a lot of other places. Then she picks this fight as a former Daniel Scholar with the Daniels Fund, which has the temerity to actually use the money as the funder, Bill Daniels, the, the benefactor, uh, Bill Daniels, intended and explicitly outlined. Uh, time for a reassessment on the part of Ms. Cetabaca. 
Natasha. This is an old disgrace and just truly a tragedy. Um, after the 2017 gas pipeline explosion, uh, which killed two people, we finally have some new um, regulations that are going to allow for some more transparency on where these pipelines are. So old disgrace and tragedy. Thankfully, something's coming out of it. Shocking it took two years. You're right. Marie. I got to go national here and just do the Republican treatment of some of our lifelong public servants who have been in the impeachment hearings this week. Uh, I had the privilege of working for President Obama for a number of years, traveling to so many foreign countries with him. And these foreign service officers, these lifelong diplomats, they give up so much for these jobs. They work in really tough places. They move their families around. And they're the reason we could have successful trips everywhere. And so I just don't like seeing anything attacking them, forcing people to go after them on Twitter. These people really give their their entire career to our country, and I want to see a little more respect for them. Time to see something nice. Patty. In advance of Thanksgiving, Colorado may be suffering from high rents, horrible roads, but still, it's hard to imagine a better place to live, aside from some of those things, a place where businesses can, new people can come, start businesses, have great ideas, where in general the conversation is very, unless you're on talk radio, is very civil. And especially those people who watch this show and always come up to us and talk about how much they appreciate it. We appreciate talking about this state, too, and how much we love it and how much we can criticize it. But thanks to all, everyone who watches Channel 12. I could not second that uh, any more vociferously. Patty, well said. Eric. I'm going to do the flip side of where Marie just was. I mean, the diplomats of the U.S. who we've seen in action in front of the, the House committee over the past week or two, Marie Ivanovich, if I'm, I think her name is actually Masha Ivanovich, mm-hmm. is what she goes by, was an incredibly impressive individual. Fiona Hill yesterday and others as well. It makes you proud that these kinds of people are representing us and then to Donald Trump on the flip side of this who just this morning is threatening to veto a bill expressing support for the dissidents in Hong Kong. It shows you why we need diplomacy more than ever. Natasha. Sticking with the um, holiday theme, I, my social media feed right now is full of events and dinners around the metro area, helping people in need, helping seniors, just giving back in different ways. So I just, um, you know, in the Denver Rescue Mission, which of course um, every year does their annual turkey drive to make sure that people have a way to celebrate as we enter next week's holidays. Uh, just kudos to everyone for taking that time and focusing on giving back. Well said. Marie. Last night, I went to a show called The Improvised Shakespeare Company at DCPA. It was a ball. I never thought I would laugh until I cried watching Shakespeare, but they basically take an audience suggestion, make up an entire show. It's here through March. Highly suggest if you have family in town next week and you don't know what to do to check it out. Perfect. I want to say something nice, too. We have a few visitors back in the control room. My, uh, parent, my parents, Marianne and John, were able to join us. So it's great to have you back there, Mom and Dad. Thanks for actually making this uh, possible. They thought I'd just be talking to, stra- you know, just talking to random strangers when I grew up and actually get to talk to them on TV. So thank you. Uh, one, uh, and before we go, we have a few more announcements. One, Colorado Inside Out continues its Thanksgiving tradition next Friday with a CIO Time Machine Marathon from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. You'll see our trips back to 1923, 1968, 1917, my personal favorite 1876 also airing next friday is the championship round of our both sides of story 2019 tournament haley stats from eagle crest takes on maddie holloman from george washington debating if colorado should join the national popular vote compact 
You will not want to miss it. And finally, don't forget the Colorado Gives Day is December 10th. It's Eric's favorite day. You can schedule your gift to CPT 12 right now. You count on us for a great program like Colorado Inside Out. So can we count on your support on Colorado Gives Day? Go to cpt12.org for more details. That is all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. Thank you so much for watching. For everybody here at CPT 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Good night. Thank you.